Good morning, everybody. So glad you could join us today. And so glad we could join you wherever you are. Maybe you're in your family room. Maybe you're on your couch. Maybe you're in the kitchen. Maybe you're curled up in your warm bed. <laughs> We're filming today from the old courthouse in downtown St. Louis. It's an old stone building that has seen a lot over the years. If you know the history of the building, you know that uh, it's seen its share of triumph and tragedy. It's where Dred Scott and his wife filed for their freedom many, many years ago. It's been through the Civil War. It's seen all kinds of things that you and I in this lifetime have never seen. Wouldn't it be interesting if the stones of this old building could speak? I wonder what they'd say. Today, we're living in a time of uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, many of you are living through unprecedented circumstances in your life right now. Maybe you've been laid off or a family member's been laid off. Maybe you or a loved one has experienced a diagnosis that you didn't see coming. Maybe your relationship is being challenged and strained by the difficulties and hardships of this time. Or maybe you're just living a life that you didn't sign up for. You didn't sign up to be a homeschool teacher to a bunch of kids. You didn't sign up to be quarantined in your own home. You just didn't sign up for this. This is an unprecedented experience and it's a period of anxiety and uncertainty. In this period of uncertainty and anxiety, wouldn't it be great to hear from someone or something that could put things into perspective? Today, I wanna to speak to you for just a few moments on the subject, if the stones could speak. You see, we aren't the first people to live through a period of uncertainty and anxiety. A few thousand years ago, there were a group of people that lived in Israel uh, who were under the oppressive thumb of the Roman government. It was a period of great uncertainty and great anxiety. For years, these foreign invaders had been in and around their temples and in their marketplaces and outside of their homes. It was basically a lockdown. And those people wanted desperately to experience their freedom. Well, finally, they thought the answer had come. You see, there was a man who had been going around the countryside teaching and preaching and healing people and had apparently even raised a man from the dead. So when that man came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey at the height of his ministry, the people were ecstatic. They thought at last this period of, of uncertainty and anxiety will be over. Our king has come. The scripture puts it this way. It says, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They had been watching this man for years perform incredible works, powerful works. In fact, the word there for miracles is the same word where we get the word dynamite, dunamis. These were amazing works that this man had done. And in this moment, they believed that he was going to be their king, that he was going to liberate them from the hand of the Roman oppress of, of from the hand of their Roman oppressors. And they were excited about it. In fact, they did things that we don't really even understand. They, they threw their cloaks on the ground before him. Why did they do that? Why would they throw their coat on the ground in front of Jesus as he came in? Well, you see, years earlier, they had been in a similar situation. About 800 years earlier, they had been under another oppressive regime the regime of Jezebel, and she had been killing the prophets and slaying innocent people and, and, and running havoc over all Israel. And the 
and the prophet anointed a king whose name was Jehu. Now Jehu was a bad man. He was a warrior king. And in no time at all, he put to rest the armies of Jezebel and Ahab, and he freed the people from the oppression. And when the Bible describes the way the people responded to Jehu, it says, they quickly took their cloaks and they spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. You see, the reason the disciples are throwing their cloaks on the ground is because they think Jesus is going to be like Jehu. They think Jesus is going to come and crush the Roman oppressors. They think he's going to come as a warrior king and finally put to rest all of the uncertainty and anxiety that they've been experiencing. And the weird thing is, Jesus lets them believe it. Jesus doesn't try to stop them. In fact, Jesus encourages them to think this. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, you notice the detail in the story, he rode in on a donkey. Why would he ride in on a donkey? Why would he do that? Well, he's signaling something to them that he knows every person in that crowd has heard the story from their Hebrew Bible days, from their Hebrew school, the story in Zechariah where it says this. It says, never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. And then it says, see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. You see, Jesus not only allows them to celebrate him and honor him as king, he encourages it. And it gets to such a fevered pitch that the people start to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a very, very dangerous word to use in first century Jerusalem during Passover. When they start calling him king, that makes the Pharisees very nervous because if they're calling him king, that means Herod's not king. That means Caesar's not king. That's, that's mutiny, that's riot language, that's revolution language, especially when you have Jews coming from all over the world to celebrate Passover, the, 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 the time when God liberated them from a foreign oppressor. I mean, this is dangerous. And so the, the Pharisees say to Jesus, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell your disciples to stop calling you king. Tell your disciples to turn down the volume. And Jesus essentially says, turn down for what? Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't want them to be quiet. I want them to celebrate me as king. I want them to believe that I am going to overthrow their oppressors. He wants them. That's why he rode in on a donkey. That's why he allowed them to throw the coats on the ground. But the question is, why would Jesus allow them to do that when he knows that in just a few days, he's going to be crucified? In just a few days, he's not going to be coronated. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be beaten and whipped and a crown of thorns is going to be put on his head. He's going to be arrested. He's going to have spikes put in his hands. He's going to have a spear in his side. Why would Jesus allow people to celebrate him when he knew that he was setting them up for disappointment? In fact, let me bring it home a little closer. Why would God have us celebrate him and worship him when he knew that COVID-19 was going to sweep the globe? Why would God allow us to worship him and celebrate him when he knew that the relationship that we're in is going to be strained? 
or that our finances were going to be strained or that we were gonna get laid off or that there were gonna be problems in our friendships or in our marriage or with our kids or somebody that we know is gonna be diagnosed with, with an illness that's gonna take their life. Why would God allow us to celebrate when he knows that we're actually going to experience heartbreak after the celebration? Why would he do that? Well, the answer lies in one of these. Now, if you read my email this week, and I know you read my email this week, you know that I asked everybody to, to pick up a stone and to have a stone that they would have with them during this sermon. This stone I picked up in Israel. When I was in Israel visiting last year, I found this stone. I asked my tour guide, I said, hey, can I take this rock home with me? And he said, well, we've got a, plenty of rocks, so knock yourself out. So I brought this rock. Now the rock I'm holding in my hand and the rock that you're holding in your hand and the stones that were on the ground at the side of the road when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, those stones have been around for a while. Those stones have seen a few things. Those stones have been around for thousands, millions, maybe even billions of years. They've seen not just a snapshot of time, they've seen the grand scope of the way God works in history. They've seen God make a way where there is no way. The stones in Israel were there when Cain and Abel were alive. They were there when God saved Isaac from the mountaintop. They were there when Joseph was sold into slavery, but then they saw Joseph rise to become the leader of Egypt. They were there when the children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years, but they were also there when God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. In other words, you and I could probably learn a few things from the stones. If the stones could speak, what would they say? You may recall hearing about some stones that formed a wall that surrounded a city called Jericho. Stone stacked upon stone, stacked upon stone. You may also recall what happened to those stones when the people of God celebrated. If those stones could speak, I'll tell you what they would say to you today. They would say, keep worshiping, even when you don't know why. It's so fascinating when you read the book of Joshua that God commands his people to celebrate him even before the victory happens. He says, I want you to blow the trumpets. I want you to shout. I want you to celebrate. I want you to worship. And if you read the scripture, it says this. It says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Maybe some of you today have some walls in your life, impenetrable walls that are keeping you from experiencing the land flowing with milk and honey, God's purpose for your life. There's a wall. There's a wall in your finances. There's a wall in your relationship. There's a wall on your job and you can't get through it. You don't know how to get through it. Today, God is saying to you, the stones are saying to you, keep worshiping even when you don't know why. When we open our hearts and worship, the scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. 
where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there. So worship him today. Honor him today, even when circumstances seem dire, even when the situation is rough, even when you're going through the hardest time in your life, even when you're facing an impenetrable wall. Let's open up our hearts and worship him. That's what the stones would say. And those aren't the only stones to speak. There's some other stones that might have something to say as well. You may remember the story about five smooth stones found in a creek bed, something like this, by a shepherd boy who was facing an insurmountable giant. If those stones could speak to you today, they would say, keep the faith even when you're tempted by fear. You see, those stones had a unique vantage point. They were in the Valley of Elah. On one side of the valley was the Philistine army. On the other side was the Israelite army. And every day for 40 days, twice a day, a giant would come down from the Philistine army and he would berate the Israelites into fear paralysis of terror. Every single one of them afraid, except for one. You see, a young shepherd boy came down to the creek bed, picked up five smooth stones, dropped one of them in his sling, slung it around his head, let it go, and that was the end of the giant. Maybe today, the giant of debt is terrifying you. The giant of divorce is taunting you. The giant of depression is mocking you. The giant of despair is looming over you. Today, if the rocks could speak, they would say to you, keep the faith, keep the faith, even when you're tempted by fear. I wanna tell you about one more rock today, and then we'll close. This is the kind of stone that usually has the final say. This is the kind of stone that usually tells you when it's over. You see, the day before Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, the day before the triumphal entry, he had stopped by some friend's house. Their names were Mary and Martha. And they were deeply grieving because they had just lost their brother. In fact, Martha said to Jesus when she saw him, she said, Jesus, if you had been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you come when you knew he was sick? Why didn't you put an end to the suffering when you had a chance? Maybe some of you are asking that question today. You're saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you put an end to this? Why haven't you stopped the pain and suffering? Jesus' response to Martha was fascinating. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he said, Martha, take me to your brother's tomb. She took him to Lazarus's tomb. The scripture describes it like this. It says, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Jesus looked at the 
grave and said, take away the stone. If that stone could speak to you today, that stone would say, keep hope alive even in your darkest hour. That's a stone that was used to telling people it was over. But if it could speak, it would say, keep hope alive even in your darkest hour. Some of you are in your darkest hour today. You're experiencing anxiety and uncertainty in unprecedented ways. You're, you're experiencing the pain and the despair of disruptions to your family and your finances and your whole life may even seem like it's over. It may seem like the final word has been spoken. Well, today I want to encourage you by saying, listen to the stones. I want to encourage you to take the stone in your hand, put it on your mantle, put it on your dining room table, put it on the lampstand next to your bed, put it somewhere where you can see it. And every time you're tempted to lose hope or to lose faith or to lose courage, remember what the stones would say. Because if the stones could cry out, they would say, keep worshiping even when you don't know why. Keep the faith even when you're tempted by fear. And keep hope alive even in your darkest hour. Now, I could tell you about one more stone. You see, there was a stone in front of Jesus' tomb. But I would be getting ahead of myself. We'll save that one for Easter Sunday. I want to invite you to respond to this sermon today in a few different ways. The first way I'd invite you to respond is just by connecting with us. So there's a connection card right below the, the screen here, and you can click on that link. Let us know anything you want us to know and connect with us in any way that would be helpful and useful to you. We are here to serve you. Another way that you can connect is through prayer. Uh, we have a prayer team that is standing by ready to pray for you. So you can click the link below and let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, we also invite you to join us in worship through giving, through your generosity. If you're new to One Family Church, please don't feel any obligation to give. Uh, but this is the, one of the ways that we worship. This is the way that we expand the reach of the mission and the vision that God has placed on this church, on, on us and on our leaders uh, to expand his mission throughout the region. So you can give by clicking the link below. You can set up a recurring giving or a one-time gift. And then I also want to invite you to join the family today. Uh, we're going to hold our membership class, Step 1 membership class, today uh, at 11.15 on a Zoom conference call. So the link is right below. Uh, and we just invite you to come and be a part of our family at One Family Church. You can join us at 11.15 on that Zoom conference call. And finally, uh, you'll remember that I sent an email this week inviting you to get out some bread and some juice so that you and I and our whole church family, even though we're apart, we could take communion together. You know, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he brought his disciples together, he broke bread, and he said, eat, this is my body that's broken for you. And then he poured out the cup and he said, drink. This is the blood of my covenant that's being poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take the bread and the cup, we're remembering Christ's sacrifice. But if we listen to the stone speak, we know that the sacrifice isn't the end of the story.
Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you just so grateful to be in your presence. Even though we're not physically together right now, we know that where two or three are gathered in your name, doesn't matter how far apart we are, we're gathered in your name and we know you're here. God, I pray that your presence would fill the room of every person watching this service today. Fill our hearts with joy and gladness. Help us to open our lives to you and experience the true meaning of the triumphal entry, the true meaning of what it means for you to be our king, the true meaning of your death, your burial, and your resurrection. God, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.